evening viewers and welcome again to your show NeuroDigest here on Science TV with me Sylvia Moramuchabo, your host and our interpreter Maureen who actually it is her birthday so happy birthday Maureen <laughs> and today we have a special guest as you can see today we are ladies full house and it is August. August is Women's Month. So we will be celebrating with our first show. We are hosting Dr. Susan Wamadi. I was trying to say it in Kikuyu. I've given up in my head. So Dr. welcome. And today we will be discussing neurodevelopmental challenges and behavioral challenges and how rehabilitation and habilitation is done. Courtesy of Dr. So Dr. Terry has just come back, so we are the first to host her, so yay! <laughs> but anyway, that's just me and my excitement. Let's hear from Dr. Terry. She will tell us about herself in detail, and then we'll dive in into the educational part. Karibuni, don't forget, send in your questions on 2058. I repeat that, 20508. So send in your questions, also join us on social media, and you can pass in your questions over there. And we will be sure to engage Dr. Terry and give feedback right back to you. So welcome, Dr. Terry. Uh, thank you very much, Sylvia, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be a first lady, so to yes. come to your show. I'm happy about that. <laughs> so as you uh, introduced me, my name is Susan Wamipi. I'm a developmental pediatrician. And um, I have just come back from uh, Canada, where I trained in developmental pediatrics at the Holland Bluevue Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. Wow. And it was great being there. I learned a lot. You learned a lot. Yes, I did. So you started from here, then you went there, or you've done all your studies out in Canada? So I actually, it's been a journey. So I started my undergrad in Alabama in the States. Okay. And then I went to St. George's University School of Medicine in Grenada, and then we do some rotations in England. Then I came back to Kenya to do my master's in uh, medicine in pediatrics and child health. Okay. And then uh, the opportunity to go um, studying Toronto King, and which I took, and I thank God for that. Power to the women. Go get her right there. But like they say, when the tens in our home are a journey in Yumbani. So you heard she's been to the US, she's been to the UK, she's been out in Canada, and she's back home. So we're, we're sitting with a lot of wealth of experience from every side of the world. So for your questions, please, opportunities come once, just like current, it passes only once. So be sure to send in your questions. So Dr. Terry, yes. please elaborate to us. So you are a pediatric neurologist, in summary. No, it's a bit different. I'm a developmental pediatrician. So what okay. we do in terms of our training mm -hmm. is uh, we're learning about how to support children who children of all abilities, mm -hmm. and that's uh, mostly childhood disability. Mm -hmm. And uh, what in, it entails that you're training your you do some rotations in neurology, you mm -hmm. do some in psychiatry, mm -hmm. others in genetics, mm -hmm. and uh, and neuromotor. So there are different aspects. It's just about how to support a child's development who's struggling. So the so we do a bit of what the neurologists are doing, what the psychiatrists are doing, but it's more of supporting children who have uh, disabilities. So we can say you're like a two in one. Well <laughs> I'm trying to add power yeah. to you. Yeah, so it's more because, because um, uh, disability is chronic, okay. and um, and it changes with development. So what's happening for a child who is, let's say, a three-year-old is going to be different from an adolescent mm -hmm. because we are. It's a trajectory, so the needs change because you find that 
um, if a child, for example, is struggling with their uh, fine motor skills, mm -hmm. with uh, therapy, you see that the, the fine motor skills are improved with time. Mm -hmm. So it's just about being cognizant of the changes that happen in development at different stages and the adolescent, of course, a special age for all children, whether you're typical or atypical. Mm -hmm. And so it's about supporting those changes in development as they go through this journey. So it's a lifelong kind of support. So we, we do the pediatric, but then the, the physiatrist do. Oh, okay. So for you, for you, for what you studied, you handled just the children, yeah. the childhood of, of uh, your patient? Yes. And then now you hand them over to a different doctor? We hand them to a different doctor. But now you work with them for roughly how long? How long does a child uh, come to see you for before you can actually hand them over? Is it something age-related or is it milestone-related? So, actually sometimes it's even institutional. Because mm -hmm. they're quite trained. Uh, we saw the children until they were 18. Okay. And uh, every hospital has its own age where they, where they um, whether you're 14 and above is when you, we hand you over to adult medicine. Mm -hmm. But we're trained, we saw them until we were 18. And the importance of that was that we had to start preparing them for life skills. Because we have to think about uh, what you want to be when they grow up, they tell us what, to, what they want to do with themselves. We teach them skills about um, how do you apply for a job, uh, what colleges should you go for, and how do we uh, support you through that journey. So by the time we are handing you over to the adults, we've kind of gone through and discussed all those different things with the, the patient and the caregivers. Because of course, it's a family based way that we treat the patients. So, all right, uh, we had earlier in the earlier shows, we had looked at how, um, that what the parents should look out for before they decide to either go for uh, early to start early intervention or mm -hmm. actually go to see a doctor who can be able to tell them, okay, this is what is the matter with your child, you need to see A, B, C, D. So could you tell us at, at what point, because now you've said you're not a pediatric neurologist, which I had assumed, because there is the developmental the challenges, right? right? And when we're talking about like autism, which is what, what our season is handling right now. Yes. So after I go see, like uh, I go get assessed, mm -hmm. all right? So do I start first after assessment and I'm told, okay, uh, your child is autistic. So who will be the first person and at what point do you come in as a consultant for this child? So ideally, where uh, the way it's set up is that most of the times when you're coming in for your uh, immunization, when you go to the world child visit, mm -hmm. the nurse or the pediatrician do a developmental check. Okay. So you'll find that you're asked, um, like now at six months, um, what is your child doing? And uh, in terms of have they started bubbling, are they responding to you, interacting with them, um, when are their first words? So usually, um, by the time they are, uh, if you go to a good setting, most of the times it's the nurses who alert mm -hmm. the parents that, oh, we think that there's a bit of a delay here. Yeah. And then the in a center that's, um, where, that's where we try and educate all the health professionals, is that they'll be like, oh, there's, there's a delay in the speech, mm -hmm. um, there's a delay, and, and we have to be very observant. Like, what are we seeing the child doing? Are they interacting well with the mom? Mm -hmm. Is there a speech issue? And then from there, we trigger for, um, for them to be reviewed by pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And so um, we change that pediatricians have what's called um, a beta test, okay. which is like, because um, it's the MCHAT where they screen, for, yes. they screen for autism, but there's a new test that's a rapid 
um, like in 10 minutes you have uh, certain tools that you use to see whether to screen for autism. Because the issue before was that how long will it take me to fill out all these forms, mm -hmm. but now um, through the people are being trained at least in Canada on mm -hmm. um, how to do the later test and it's uh, and it's fun stuff because it's a play-based kind of thing uh -huh. uh, where you're presenting like an image of let's say a baby's picture in a in a train track and then mm -hmm. seeing what the child is preferring okay. and then that way it alerts a pediatrician and within those 10 minutes I think wow. it's a child who needs to be seen but but okay I'm trying to look at that 10 minutes I remember I had to leave my children for two days like come right. drop the child for two days <clears throat> for the process to be done so are we saying we're behind no or? it's it's because uh, things are advancing because people are doing research they're trying because we know that early intervention mm -hmm. gives us good outcomes so people are finding way like how can we uh, catch these children early? early and so that um so it's a new uh test that it's a screener it's not uh so you can screen for something and then go to the developmental pediatrician oh. to get a confirmation. Okay. And the important part of the screener is, because most people have busy offices, because mm -hmm. they were trained, um, I think the researchers are trying to find ways to have to make sure that the child is screened for autism. Mm -hmm. So it's a way of making sure that no one is left out, because you're um, like in the West, you have, let's say, 20 minutes with your patient. Okay. So can you spend those 10 minutes trying to screen, especially when the mom says, is a delay in the language, I'm not sure about the eye contact, the social interaction is worrying me. And you can screen them until 36 months. So the screen is just for children who are between 0 to 36 months of age. Um, and it's been designed just to catch children early. Yes. How early early? We're talking three years, two years? No, we are hoping that we can catch you by the time you're, because uh, most of the times the the, the communication, the social communication difficulties are seen at two years of age. Okay. And sometimes, and so every child is uh, different. Okay. And that's why yeah. we're calling it the spectrum. spectrum yeah. And so uh, it's about like the ones, when you have an astute physician, they're able to do like this one thing, doing okay. eye contact. And most of the times, moms kind of raise it because you mm -hmm. see this different from another sibling mm -hmm. or from the cousins, and uh, they raise it up, and it's for us to take that, um, sometimes you see it as a by the way when they leave in the yeah. office to make sure, no, 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 come back, let's talk about this. We worry as parents and yeah. sometimes you're not being able to communicate what you're really worried about. But you see, then there is this thing that I've been hearing a lot with parents that the first time they mention some of these issues that they're talking about, the delays, mm -hmm. but the doctors don't take them seriously. So is that something that's global now that you've had your practice around or is it just an African thing? Because I, my personal story, I always say like the time I was seeing the gastroenterologist, when I complained that I'm seeing certain behaviors, mm -hmm. they it was prescribed like, oh, it's a habit, it's going to end. Right. So you see, that's an assumption because they would have paid attention to that. Because right. you were having like high reflux, you know, these other signs that we usually get mm -hmm. when a child uh, is showing tendencies of being autistic. So is it a, an African thing that we ignore some of the telltale signs of parents or we just rubbish it like, uh, no, you don't know, I'm the doctor, I'm the one who knows and let's not take it seriously, stuff like that. So what's your take on that? I, I wouldn't say uh, the doctor is rubbishing. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people are not sure of what they're seeing mm -hmm. and um, as people are get more awareness because sometimes things come through um, research that people are being more aware that we have these children in our communities because sometimes 
in the past we could think it's a social construct, it only, it's only happening in the West. Yeah. But as more uh, people are getting educated, more even in the uh, health profession, mm -hmm. you'll find that they are taking it more seriously and trying to find ways to help their patients. Okay. It's unfortunate for those who've gone through that journey, mm -hmm. but uh, part of my job as a developmental petition is education. Mm -hmm. So we educate uh, not only society, you educate your colleagues, you educate because you come with all this knowledge and you want to disseminate the knowledge to help the families who are even in the rural areas. Yeah. Yes, not just in Nairobi. So the goal is to find ways to catch these children early. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the trick is in getting it early, identifying yes. it early and exactly. starting to do something about yeah. it early. Yes. Now from the vast experience from the different parts of the world that you have been to, mm -hmm. okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll lean in a bit on the studying part of it because okay. we've been trying to understand, because uh, one of our guests had mentioned that actually you can catch symptoms of autism when a lady is pregnant, okay. which is something we're like, okay, so how come? And they're like, that's something that can be done in Kenya. So why is it that we are not able to do it? Because we look at the ratio at which uh, we get intervention or actually just when someone says, okay, something is the matter. We're catching it very late, like five years plus. Yeah. And if you're lucky, maybe earlier. Well, I haven't, I mean, I, I haven't heard about catching it when someone is pregnant. Mm -hmm. However, um, they are, if, for example, they are associated syndromes that uh, mm. you can get children who have autism, for example, like Fragile X syndrome. And when, uh, if, if, when once it becomes out of their conversations that we see, but catching uh, antenatally is at least where it changed. Okay. We weren't informed about that. Okay. And so um, it's more as the child is developing, developing. is when we, we catch them. And the pediatricians there are good with referring. Yeah. Yeah, once they okay. see something, something, something is yeah. matter. Okay. Yes. So would you say that the person, or not that you spoke about uh, education, who's the better person to be able to be empowered in terms of identifying? Should it be the nurse or the pediatrician? Or should we focus in a way that we have all of them just be aware? Because you know sometimes like maybe I'm just I'm up morning for a flu jab or something right. like that and then I realize, oh by the way doctor, right. I have noticed this and this and this. Right. Or should it be at the point when you come and then we're taking the weight, the height, is that, is that the point at which uh, they should be able to be like, okay, is it okay, is it, you know, because you can right. catch it, because most, if you know, nurses are usually very friendly at right. that time, like, oh baby, how are you, give me yeah. your tongue, you know, yeah. when you're having that interaction. Right. So should that, who, who's, who's the more crucial person that we can actually empower more now that we're on the path of education? So for me, I'm a bit biased, I believe the parent is the person we should be educating. Okay. Because the person who knows the child best is the one who's with the child 24 hours. That's right. And so for me, my goal is to educate uh, families who, especially for those who've had a child who has autism mm -hmm. or this, um, uh, the risk factors that are in the family, mm -hmm. uh, how to educate those parents to say there's something. Um, going on with my child mm -hmm. and even if you meet a clinician who disagrees there's always a second opinion so I feel like the for me my aim is to empower the caregiver, the caregiver. and then as as well as uh, the nurses and the pediatricians okay. so for me I my target is always the families because the ones most mothers are very observant of their children. If they think something is wrong, I think <laughs> something's wrong. Yeah, yes. that's true. That's yes. true. And actually, I, I concur with you because that's the very mm -hmm. first person who, but then now the only challenge where that comes is yes. when I'm a first time mother, right. I don't know what milestones, unless right. I've gone out of my way to actually mm -hmm. read about it. 
So that's 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 the point at which now we hand it over to now our doctors. Yes. So that means all of us actually need to be yes. able to learn and uh, at least take caution when we right. see something is just not not quite it. Right. Now the one question that I'm really I've been dying to ask, okay, yes. is able yes. to learn and uh, at least take caution when we right. see something is just not not quite it. Right. Now the one question that I'm really I've been dying to ask, okay, yes. is uh, now when you're saying. Um, developmental there was developmental yes there was um, behavioral right let go hand in hand or it's either or so we it's the same brain so I said it goes <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, okay because um, uh, development has different domains okay so these the the gross motor mm -hmm. uh, domain which is like are you walking are you able to climb stairs can you go down the stairs mm -hmm. um, and then there's a fine motor which is use of your hands mm -hmm. and being able um, to help like self-help skills mm -hmm. can you dress can you use your spoon to eat mm -hmm. and then there's the social domain mm -hmm. and that's where we interact with each other mm -hmm. and that's where like uh, social and community so it's social communication domain okay. and then there's the adaptive skills that are you able to um, like cognitive like the way you that your cognition with like your intellect are you able to know that um, I can use this one to do this so there are cognitive issues so development in those different 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 aspects and behavior comes in with um, what is the function of that behavior? If a child is behaving a certain way, is it because there is something emotionally that's irritating them? Okay. Is it something that's physically that's irritating them? Mm -hmm. Or is it uh, an emotional thing? So that's behavior stems from uh, what else is going on internally in the child. Mm -hmm. So for us, we deal with both the development and how that development is uh, impacting on the child's behavior. Okay. So if I hear you right, there's some behaviors that should be uh, like a light bulb. If you see this behavior or if it changes, then you should tell you there's something going on yes. and needs to be looked into. Right. All right, so could you just highlight for us like what kind of behaviors are we looking at? Uh, in, in terms in of behavior, terms of, like yeah. um, when we say, okay, there is a change, like okay. an example of what kind of change. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. I've been very worried that right now my son changes his clothes every three days. Okay. No, not three days, I mean right. three hours. Right. So like he will just come and you see he's undressing and you're like, dude, you know, right. you're supposed to be dressed. Right. But when he decides, I don't want clothes, I don't want clothes. Right. And then, you know, it can be very embarrassing. Sometimes you, you can walk in and you're like, okay, dude, what's up? Right. <laughs> so you see, that's, that's, that's right. for me, it would be like, okay, something is, you know, because it, right. it wasn't that before. Right. Then we're having this issue of like sleeping pattern. Mm -hmm. Like you're supposed to be in bed at nine, mm -hmm. latest. Mm -hmm. But then even if I put you to bed, even if I, I threaten, even if, you know, all these things we try and he's just not falling asleep and he'll just be looking at the, you know, and, and right. talking to himself. So um, when we're talking about behavior, is it that or is it more than that? So like in terms of neurodevelopment, children who um, have, and it's just the way that brain is wired, because it's just a different type of brain and how they perceive the world. Okay. Sleep is actually a major issue. Okay. And so we, we have children who have difficulty falling asleep, okay. and then there are those who wake up in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And so um, what, at least what we're doing in Toronto, is that we evaluate your sleep. Are you having difficulty in sleep because of some medical issue? Mm -hmm. Are you having uh, obstructive apnea? Mm -hmm. like there, we do like sleep studies. Mm -hmm. And from the sleep study, we're able to uh, try and figure out um, what is the what cause is the of, of the problem with the sleep. 
and there is the good melatonin which is a uh, natural hormone okay. uh, which helps with uh, sleep agents meaning the first like when you're going to bed you take it like mm -hmm. half an hour before and then that helps the child fall asleep. Sometimes they wake up in the middle of the night and sometimes we give a smaller dose of that time to help them keep them asleep. So children who have developmental issues, the uh, problem with sleep goes hand in hand. And uh, that's and then sometimes the medication, for example, if you have ADHD and you're taking your meds at night, mm -hmm. you're going to have problems uh, ah, sleeping. So we have to look at, is it a medication factor, or is it a patient factor okay. that's causing the, dis the disruptive sleep. So we have so to that's very sure common, have? especially with children who have autism. Mm -hmm. Sleep issues are, are common. Okay, you just throw me like, those ones of like, I'm not like, okay, what have we changed? Right. <laughs> I'm just analyzing that story right. of like, okay, what has changed in my house? Why are we having this? Because, um, uh, the, the the melatonin so it is not it's it's just na it's natural yes right? a natural hormone. yes because we have it in our in our system okay and so um we supplement it because we've okay. seen that um children who have uh like and we think it's genetic it's something in your mm -hmm. the receptors that uh melatonin uh like uh interacts okay. with okay. are they the reason why you're having difficulty with sleep okay. and so we find that melatonin actually works really well for some of our children okay. um and so we tend to give it to help with sleeping but that should be under doctor's prescription yes <laughs> I, I think it's important. I mean, because yeah, uh, people like in Canada, you get it over the counter. Okay. Um, uh, they send it over the counter, but then it's a it's advice that at least your doctor yeah, is okay. aware yeah. that you're taking it. And especially if you have other medications, you yeah, have to like yeah, really yeah. weigh and know if it's going to work. Okay, we're going to give the Terry a break. That we've given her a lot of work to do. We'll take a break. And remember, we are waiting for your questions on uh, our SMS number, which is two zero five zero eight. So SMS your questions so that we can ask Dr. Tari, uh, Dr. Susan here, and then we will be able to get educated and be able to take care of our families better and look after our children better because that is the essence of why we have NeuroDigest, so that we can explain all these difficult things and all these behaviors that do not make sense normally. But then when we have guests who are very knowledgeable from every part of the world, and uh, she has been able to experience different ages and different uh, areas of the spectrum. So we're speaking from a point of knowledge. So we will be with you shortly. Uh, don't go away, we'll be right back. Welcome back viewers on Science TV, your show of NeuroDigest this season as we handle autism and all related issues and matters that relate to it. Today we are privileged to have Dr. Susan Rodmati who's a development pediatrician and again we say it is Maureen's birthday, our interpreter, so we shall be celebrating that. We hope we can get some water and just clean her up. But while we were on a break and in the first session, we got a question. So Dr. Terry, allow me to start with that so that we can put it aside and go to the next beat. Okay. So we have a parent who has asked, uh, is autism related with fragile X syndrome? So yes, mm -hmm. uh, there are genetic disorders that are related with autism, mm -hmm. uh, spectrum disorder, and fragile X is one of them. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, back in Toronto, it's one of the tests that we ask for once we do a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, mm -hmm. just to make sure that uh, to know the child has fragile X syndrome or not. Okay. So it is related. So what exactly is fragile X? 
So fragile X is a genetic disorder, as I've said, and mm -hmm. it's actually one of the main causes of intellectual disabilities ah. in boys. Okay. And um, and so and it's associated with autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. And the in like in terms of um, once you do the diagnosis, mm -hmm. we usually do cognitive tests to see where the child is functioning. Mm -hmm. And because in you will, if they have uh, intellectual disability, there are ways that we support that, as well as support their uh, autism spectrum disorder. Okay. So we treat both. So both of them. Yeah, we intervene for both. That, can it come on its own, the project I issue that in? It can come on, on its own without uh, autism, yes it can. Okay, yes. so you have to have autism to have it or can you have Fragile X just on its own? You can have Fragile X just on, on its, its own, own. Yeah. but they are, like now uh, Fragile X, uh, tuberous sclerosis, those are some uh, conditions that are associated with uh, autism. Mm -hmm. Down syndrome, this is our children who have Down syndrome and have autism. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, but Fragile X we need screen for. Okay. Yes. Okay. So at least that's something you can just scream for. Like, how do you check? Is it like do you draw blood? Yes, so we do draw okay. blood and then add the, uh, it's a genetic test. Oh, it's a genetic yes. test. Yes. So when they say genetic or no, or the first thing that we think about it, that means it, it was passed from one person to another one. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> mommy, daddy, yeah, somewhere um, it yes. is first on. Yes. Okay, so I hope that fully answers your question. Then we had a viewer asking for an appointment. Uh, please, we shall put her contact on our Facebook page. Remember, we are also engaging you on the on the Facebook page, either my page, Sylvia Morano Chabo, under this live feed, or you go to Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons, that's the other handle, or you can join us on Twitter, that is Andy Speaks 4, or on Instagram, Andy Speaks. Those are the social media handles, or even on Science TV. Those are the social media handles of which you can engage with us. So for those who would be having any other questions, kindly send them through and we should try and tackle them before the end of the show. Now, I'd like for us to move. Uh, we've spoken about um, development and we touched a bit on the behavior, yes. right? So when we're talking about development behaviors, what are the ones the most common that you have seen? And are there any that you've seen in the West that are not uh, here in Africa? Is there any any difference that is related uh, when we're looking at the spectrum? Right. Any signs and symptoms of what you you look out for that is uh, noted to be there in the West and that is not here, or vice versa? So interestingly, uh, Toronto is very multicultural. Okay. So we even got patients who are Ugandan, Ethiopian, Kenyan. Okay. Okay. So and the the the, the diagnosis that I choose in terms mm -hmm. of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apart from boy girl, yes, except for uh, except for gender, but in yes. terms of ethnicity, um, it, it doesn't. So I mm -hmm. got the opportunity to see people from all over the world mm -hmm. who um, had uh, autism, and so that I knew for sure that okay. um, maybe it's cases that we're missing here, okay. um, and that's really important to raise awareness so the parents know exactly what's going on with their children. Okay. Yes. Now, now that we touched on that part yes. of boys and girls, right? If by the power vested in you when they said here we are a degree holder or right. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say have and from the research and the studies like right. okay could you just tell us what is the difference right. and why is it more in boys than girls and right. why is it harder to diagnose girls than it is boys so for yes most developmental disorders are uh, seen uh, more in boys than in girls mm -hmm. and um the research is still out there whether is it uh is it a hormonal thing, is it testosterone? Mm -hmm. However, there are girls who have autism. The thing with them is that they don't have as 
disruptive behaviors mm. and their social skills are a little more better than the boys are. But and that's the reason why we need to catch them early mm. because a recent study showed that uh, women who have autism are more likely to commit suicide oh. as adolescents than than uh, boy, than the than the boys do. And so and and that's something that got me worried, you mm. know, because I saw it um, I like I said, I follow Twitter as soon as one of uh, the autism researchers, and I saw that today. Mm -hmm. And I'm yet to read the article. And for me, I was like, is it because we're not catching them early and addressing the issues? Mm -hmm. And then, and uh, autism has uh, other, and almost we can say the word comorbidities, I'll say association <laughs> yeah. with uh, men, uh, mental uh, things like anxiety, yeah. depression. And so it's really important for us to screen our children for, um, like especially the adolescents, mm -hmm. for anxiety, screening for depression, mm -hmm. not just to um, do a follow-up as to uh, are your social communication skills improving, okay. but how are you doing? Uh, as, as a person, as like, a person. like you. But yes. then that, that throws in a complex part of it, because we yes. know a good number of aut autistics don't speak. Yes. And like if I was to give an example, I always refer to my kids because that's yes. all I know. That's my work, yes. right? My son already has issues or difficulty expressing pain. Like in terms right. of like I have a headache, I have a stomach. He doesn't know how to communicate that. Yes. So how much more complex right. will it be like if you hit teenage, your hormones are everywhere. Right. And then I am feeling like my self-esteem issues are right. hitting me left, right, and center. Because right. at least now you said you've dealt with the, the from the ages of of uh, as early as two all the way to eighteen. Yes. So how how do you get to as a parent? Because I get worried because right. that's coming. It's around the corner in a couple right. of years. But I worry that I will not be able to have that conversation of like, how was your day? Because even now he can't tell me mm -hmm. my day was okay, my day right. was not fine. Right. So it's one of the things that stresses us as parents. Right or gives us sleepless nights, right. like, how do I have this communication? So what we what we are doing is that we we have what's called the psychopharmacology clinic. Huh? <laughs> Sorry, it's just a big word thing. It's a medication clinic for children who have autism. All right. And okay. so what we did in our clinic is that, what I loved about it, and uh, there is that you work in multidisciplinary teams. Uh -huh. So you're here as a developmental pediatrician, mm -hmm. you have your behavioral analyst mm -hmm. who um, is seated in the clinic with you. Okay. So the parent comes in and says, I noticed my child is irritable, mm -hmm. we are being unable to figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a developmental pediatrician, I do the medical um, history and I will examine. So is this child in pain because of constipation? Mm -hmm. Is there, um, sometimes they injure themselves and they are unable to communicate? And so we do a physical exam to make sure that it's not a physical thing that's causing that irritability. And once we've kind of sorted that out, now that's where the behavioral analyst comes in. Because there's a reason for every behavior. And we need to know what is um, like the terms. So we take a list in terms of the terms of behavior. So what's happening just before the behavior occurs? Because you're trying to figure out what's the environment? What are the triggers? And so as you're doing the triggers, is it happening at a certain time each day? Is it that's happening uh, more in the morning than in the mm -hmm. evening? Is there an activity that the child is doing before um, the disruptive behavior occurs? Mm -hmm. And so we 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 work as a team to analyze that behavior and, and then ask you, so what do you do as a parent? Okay. Are you um, 
if he's disappointed, are you also disappointed that that cycle becomes a vicious thing? Um, so we are so we are we are looking at both your uh, the behavior of your child and how are you responding to what the child is doing? Yes. Uh, before before I lose the train of thought, because I'm I'm just learning and learning. <laughs> so when you say when you say uh, if the parent is also being disrupted, are you speaking about their reaction? Yeah. Like when your child gets annoyed and frustrated, right. we've seen children who get distracted. Right. Either they start banging their head, right. they start turning everything right. over so it's a question of how i react yes. as a parent is what you're referring yes. to yes or okay. are you are you screening at your child or okay. because you're um and of course it's normal to be emotional if someone is uh, yeah. tearing up things or breaking stuff mm -hmm. but then uh, the child can feed off your energy so to speak oh, right. and so we're trying to figure out what do you do mm -hmm. do you walk away because sometimes it's even easier to walk away mm -hmm. do you put if the child is harming themselves mm -hmm. how do you put them into a safe place Mm -hmm. um, and so we're trying to figure out what are the consequences, like what happens when the child is doing this. Mm -hmm. And then that's where we figure out like where can we intervene. Mm -hmm. And then if the behavioral things are not working, mm -hmm. then we start figure, uh, now trying to figure out is this uh, anxiety? Because we think about the things that are associated with autism. Okay. Is this anxiety? And we have questionnaires that mm -hmm. we kind of go through and try um, to figure out from the mom and the caregivers. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, have you been seeing this? Have you been in a certain way? Mm -hmm. And then is it um, whether it's depression, so we have questionnaires that we use mm -hmm. to try and narrow down what else can be going on mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, with, the uh, child. with the child. So it's and that's why I said it's very it's the teamwork. Mm -hmm. The family is part of the team, mm -hmm. the child is part of the team, and you and I, uh, that, uh, the doctor and the, the mm -hmm. other part and the parent are part of the team because they're trying to figure out what is this behavior, what is triggering it, and how can we alleviate this? Yes. Now, yes. the tougher question. Okay, at least now we know how the West does it. Because right. when you look, uh, <clears throat> when you look at how uh, children from the West, uh, like the milestones they attain and stuff mm -hmm. like that, it, uh, like you can see progress. Because okay. I've been benchmarking, and I'm okay. like, why the hell? Why, why? Why am I not getting there? Right. So here we never get to have that teamwork okay. that you're talking about. Yes. So rather, I have not seen a place where I will sit with the occupational therapist, yes. the speech therapist. Right the pediatrician, me as a parent, and my child, in one sitting. Right. We don't have an institution that actually offers that, that to us, when that is something that's very key. Because right. if we're a team working towards making this child better, yeah. everyone needs to know what the other is doing. Yeah. If we're setting goals, we should all be aware, okay, for our, our, our child, this is what it is we're trying to achieve and we're giving them because remember they like if it's schoolwork it's about it's their own journey right mm -hmm. for them to actually understand so we know like okay this is where we are this is where we want to be so for you as part of the team player this is what you're supposed to be doing that's what you're saying right and yes. if there are changes now we all are aware right. and then we all like handle it from different areas to right. be able to make it right right that's it that's right. Good. And <laughs> unfortunately, the difference is, is that like the Canadian system is funded by the government. Oh, it's government it's funded. It's government funded. So okay. we can all be in there because of just the way the setup is. Okay. That the OT is dealing with the sensory stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like we're working as a team and, and collaborating as a team to improve the quality of life for this child. But however, like I never lose hope. It's always no it's true you have to be hopeful that somehow somewhere, one day that one, one day, day that that's the, day. that that ideal environment mm -hmm. but even here we're able to still communicate with 
your colleagues who are the OT person mm -hmm. and uh, see whether we have the therapist and can I come together, together. even if it's coming together with um, like writing notes and reading each other's notes, okay. making phone calls. Mm -hmm. So there are uh, ways that we can we still, can try we and can adopt. still, yeah. Even if we are not physically all in the room, but we are all communicating with each other mm -hmm. to try and help this family. So we can say like, okay, I I, I notify my neurologist. Okay, I'm going to the OT. Yes. Yes. I'll drop you in on the phone call. Like have yes. a conference call when you're yes. doing it, so that they can also listen in. Yes. Okay, parents, there you have it. That's yes. one so way of yeah, actually yeah. having yes. the entire team mm -hmm. uh, ha handle the situation and when you see behaviors that do not make sense that is one thing make sure you check with the entire team remember for those who don't raise autistic children that is exactly what we have to deal with because you have to have all these uh, therapists and doctors so that you're able to give the child the best service yes. so that every aspect on in their development of their life is actually served well mm -hmm. so that everyone says this is what we intend to do this is what we're doing which I think is one of the things we hope our dear government will be working on for us to be able to get there because she clearly stated in Canada that is government funded and that's why they are able to sit in a room and all of them actually work towards the patient at the same time now on when I was reading what it is that you do, there was a word that I was looking at. Okay. Yes, and it says neural rehabilitation. Right. So could you just expound on that? Because okay. uh, that's rehabilitation. And when we're looking at our children, just dive into it. Let me not okay. prompt it. I'm right. sure you know what I'm asking. Yes, I, I, I think I know what you're ha asking. Okay. So uh, the word rehabilitate means mm -hmm. that we are teaching skills that someone had before mm -hmm. and has lost mm -hmm. due to injury, due to infection. For example, if you have a head injury, you can lose uh, certain skills. Mm -hmm. If you have a stroke, mm -hmm. you can lose certain skills. And the, the rehabilitation team tries to find ways to kind of, even if you don't regain everything, there are adaptive mm -hmm. equipment that you can use to help on your day-to-day. -day. For example, um, is it the the walker that mm -hmm. can, you can use okay. is it the physio like now you go for physio you strengthen those muscles that have lost their mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. their, their function so it's about um, function and quality of life alleviating pain things like that habilitation is where you have never gained the skill for example if you uh, not uh, if, if you don't have any speech mm -hmm. we uh, set you up with a speech language uh, pathologist mm -hmm. who will help you in terms of assess um, they can assess the motor aspect of things okay. and then uh, uh, make an assessment of how many sessions you're gonna have just to help you teach to teach, you know. teach the child to so it's like a, a brand new it's way. brand new it's it's learning skills that you have never attained okay yes there was this one question that had been asked some time back uh, mm -hmm. that uh, there is parent who is trying to understand they said the child was developing very well okay and at seven just all of a sudden they started to grasp it yes. like they used to talk they used to be doing okay in class right. then all of a sudden you just notice okay we're we're going in reverse right. we stop talking right. from and at, the, at to a point now the child is on a wheelchair yes. so neuro neurologically how yes. would you explain that like what would what would cause that right. and and just let us understand like so they are um and most of these are congenital they are neuromuscular disorders that oh, neuromuscular yeah neuromuscular okay. disorders that deteriorate in function mm -hmm. so you find um uh the child 
as time progresses that they actually are getting worse mm -hmm. and they deteriorate. And so regression is a very important red flag. Mm -hmm. And so for any child who is regressing in any of the developmental domains, mm -hmm. it's extremely important that you seek mm -hmm. medical help. After how long? I would say as soon as you're seeing some loss of some skill, mm -hmm. you have to see a doctor, you have to see a pediatrician. Okay, could you, could you just mention to us a few of the skills that we should be keen on? So like, like for example, um, one of the different, what we call differential diagnosis, meaning that um, uh, like you can have, we suspect you have autism. However, when you have regression and you're a girl, we worry about something called Rett syndrome. Rett? Rett. Oh, Rett syndrome. Rett, yeah, okay. Rett syndrome. I'm sure you've heard Yeah, I've heard about it. it. Yeah. Doesn't, I'm just like, okay, autism comes with a lot. <laughs> yes, and so that one comes in with uh, some regression. Mm -hmm. And so, and the other tests that we screen, like the tests that we do that can identify whether it's trends or not. Mm -hmm. And so, what I'd uh, recommend for families is that if you find that your child has lost any skill, mm -hmm. they used to walk, they stopped walking. They used to talk, they stopped talking. Those, that's a red flag immediately that you seek medical attention, uh, just so that we can investigate and know what it is that's going on with your child. Okay. Yes. Then there is this other aspect. When we're talking about uh, the neuro side of our body, right? Yes. I know I've always been telling my viewers that it is the communication between the head through your spine to your nervous system yes. or when we're talking about fine motor skills and such yeah is, is that correct or not correct yeah, it's correct that is correct yes. okay when we're talking about ch our children not having speech right how do we explain that so they are um i know they've done like some mri studies uh, mm -hmm. uh, trying to investigate what is it is it because of the way you perceive the speech that you're being, like you find your autism have poor comprehension mm -hmm. or the receptive aspect of speech. Okay. And so what, um, but then gradually with um, support and intervention that we children learn. Mm -hmm. And so, and there are those who don't. Okay. And so, um, and those, it's tougher for those families where the child just doesn't attain speech mm -hmm. and we have what's called augmentative communication devices okay. and uh, tangle for technology some, some of these things are downloadable on iPad okay. we have kids like who we used to see who use um, the iPad to communicate mm -hmm. the, yeah. to communicate their needs and uh, those their services that are predominantly for that mm -hmm. they they can start with signing, signing uh, and from signing they can use the communication devices mm -hmm. and it's really important that our parents are open to using those communication devices as speech may or may not come, mm -hmm. depending on, and sometimes it's uh, syndromes that are associated with that. Mm -hmm. um, so that your child is able to learn early mm -hmm. how to communicate what's going on with them, then yes. Okay. So using those augmentative devices. Um, okay, apart from the devices now, when you're looking at the general development, yeah, mm -hmm. what is the most common now? You, you've mentioned that you've dealt with kids from 2 to around 18. Yes. What would you say is the toughest, toughest moment for a person living with autism mm -hmm. when it comes to development? Because now if you've interacted with them over time, I'm yeah. sure uh, you'd know, like, uh, you'd be able to identify with some of the cases that you've, you've actually dealt with. I think the tougher cases are with the adolescents. Adolescents. Um, I feel like um, that's the age where, you know, like for every adolescent, there's the peer pressure, mm -hmm. you want to be light, you want to have friends, mm -hmm. you want to be invited over for um, uh, party. parties. Okay. And so uh, children with autism have the desire to, to make 
questions. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes maybe the approach is not appropriate for their peers, mm -hmm. like the, the way they are um, interacting with them, like that back and forth conversation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are restricted repetitive interests. Yeah. For example, we had a child who was into coins, and all he talked about were the coins. Coins, 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 and so you find that their, their peers are not as patient oh, yeah. uh, with that. So I, uh, for me, I felt when I was seeing them that that was a tough age yeah. because they want to be accepted. Uh, we want to have friends, and um, I thought adolescent was tough. Adolescent was tough. Was a bit tough. It freaks me out. I will not even lie right. to you. Every time I think about adolescence, it's around right. the corner. And I'm like, okay, is there any magic potion we can take for speech to come? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no magic potion that I know of, but okay. you can find a few friends who are supportive. Okay. He, we don't all have to be popular, because then we yeah. all went to high school. Yeah, Not everyone is a popular okay. kid. But having those um, friendships where um, the they have like a common interest, mm -hmm. you do things together, they have the, the sleepovers. The, like as parents, you, like if you're in a support group, I'd encourage those friendships where kids have something in common. And so they're not um, relying on um, like trying to find friends for themselves. Oh, like you can do. It's really hard enough. I know. You know? So I don't like the term play dates as adolescents, <laughs> but the but the same they want to yeah. fit in so hard, and fit, then yes. community is not like yes. it's like if you're standing around in a circle and you're right. like shoulder to shoulder. Right. They're trying to penetrate to get into the circle of friends, but then. Uh, they don't know how to say like okay may I join it? yes yeah because they don't have maybe the language or right. the skill to understand exactly right. how to do it yes so now when as as, as um, you're dealing with this mm -hmm. yeah uh, we had a case of a parent committing suicide uh, oh, in the recent past so you know yeah. uh, now as a doctor what, what what advice would you give to our parents when we're raising autistic children because today in one of our support groups is a parent who's tired she's just tired and we understand it is tiring the days i just i, I want to scream i can't scream like you yes. said behavior when they're there the yes. days we have a meltdown and i can't handle it i'm not in the brain space to deal because you see we have the general life is right. still there right. i still have to go to work right. i still have to deal with the, right. the staff i have to deal with life's right. challenges all around then i come back and my child doesn't care what happened out there right. this is me this is what i want and they, get, they have their own frustration. So as parents, we do get drained. Mm -hmm. We do get really, really bogged down. I, I can tell you for weeks, we've not been an easy week, not because, because everything is just yes. difficult. Yeah. But then what is about, or at least I, personally, I have found my way out. Right. Yeah, like I have learned to, I can feel, okay, I'm near end. Mm -hmm. I need to break and do something. What, what, what would you advise for the parents who feel like I can't I can deal? And remember, uh, we are all our kids have. Yes. We are all, they already have had their lives trying to mm. balance life with other people, even like, uh, societal acceptance, which is one of the hardest things that we're mm. still working on. So for us parents, what, what, would you, what would you tell us to, how do we deal with that? So what I think is it's to involve like your, even if it's your, your extended family or your friends. It's important for families um, to have a break. And we advocate for your friends, your siblings, just give three hours. Mm -hmm. Let mom go to the spa. Mm -hmm. Let her have that time where it is her meal time. And um, like what I think 
it's uh, a strength for us in Kenya mm -hmm. is that we have our aunties, uncles, cousins, mm -hmm. we have that sense of community. Mm -hmm. In Toronto, we arrange respite services, meaning that somebody, we hire somebody to come to your home mm -hmm. so they can um, uh, take care of the child so that you can go to the movies, for example, or go for dinner. Mm -hmm. And since uh, we are here, I feel like it's important to involve your, in, in its education of the mm -hmm. families that mm -hmm. uh, it's good to give your friend a break. Mm -hmm. It's good to choose a place where that's quiet, that you can go with your child mm -hmm. and with the other children. You don't, like to sensitize, yeah, to sensitize, sensitize your friends yeah. that, uh, let me give uh, Sylvia a break today. Mm -hmm. Sylvia, you go out, have fun, I'm going to watch your child. And not feel guilty. Yes, and don't feel guilty. And I'm like, and we have that sense of community. It's ask for help. Do not feel that you're a superwoman. Please ask for help. Ask for a break. Most relatives will be willing. Just, okay. Um, those, those are my hopes and my hopes aspirations. And is that if I say, just like a little bit to go do my hair. Oh, yeah. Maybe I think for uh, caregivers, that break. Even if it's for those two hours, it makes a big difference for That's your mental true. state of mind, yeah, yeah. the ability to take care of the child better. I think we have to kind of take responsibility of supporting our caregivers. That's a very big thing for me. Yeah. Because I'm like, if a mom who is refreshed, is a better yeah, supporter. A father who is refreshed is a better support system. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, watch the child for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just uh, ask for help. Yeah, and, and you see yeah. the challenge comes in, you'd like to ask for help, but these people need to know, or rather your, the people around you need to understand your child. Yes. So most of the time someone will say, okay, I'm ready and we're ready, then yes. the minute you bring the child, because of some of these developmental behaviors that yes. we are talking about, right. then they go like, what just happened? You know, right. like, I've never seen that in my life. And right. then they can't, they can't stand it for a long period of time. So that, I think, uh, speaking from a parent's yes. point of view, yes. you analyze this, even if you have the office, there is that critical part of will they handle, like, if a meltdown happens, right. what would they do? So, like, for me, if you involve your friends in your child's life, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Have them come over because every relationship is based on trust and spending time. Yes, that's right. And so um, it's almost like you have to project ahead. Mm -hmm. The time that you have people come over to your home, interact with your child, you know, child will kind of get used to them. Okay. And, and that way, that when you need a break, someone will really lose no, and has seen how you handled mm -hmm. the meltdown, how you handled situations. Mm -hmm. So, have people involved in your in home. That way you have some, it doesn't have to be everyone, but mm -hmm. people who you know you can trust with your child. Okay. It's where those relationships are already formed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And siblings? So, so <laughs> the, the sibling to the... Sibling too. Because you know sometimes yes, I look, yes, I, yes. I, uh, sometimes I look at, um, like my two, the two kids, uh, right. Andrew and Bradley, because they're just back to back. They're like inseparable. Yes. Right? They have each other's back, but then they're still at the same time, they can be the worst of enemies right. and very competitive, right. yeah? Then we have Daniel, right. who is at a different point in life, mm -hmm. who's developing differently, wants yeah. to be a teenager, because right. he's in that space, he wants to be his own person, but then, then there are these other younger ones, right. who are also uh, part of the family, right. and there is that sense of sibling responsibility that's right. there. So does that ever get to affect like will the development like for the two who are close to each other one is adhd one is autism mm -hmm. so do now we're back to now behaviors and development yes. does it affect 
the, that relationship and even the ones who are matured, do they get affected by the fact that there is a special child in the family? So they actually do in their studies that have looked at siblings who okay. grow up, but most of the times it's they are protective and loving about their truth, their siblings. And however, we had our, our family where the girl wasn't, but the three years apart. Mm -hmm. And what the therapist did is that they have sessions with the both siblings, mm -hmm. and they kind of sit down and help them, like find ways and common ground to play uh -huh. together. And for them, they choose art because we both like art. Mm -hmm. And so that's there are ways that the therapist can actually sit down and train. Um, get rid of that civil rivalry by actually involving them in each other's common interests. Okay. So we do target siblings and try to make sure that um, those feelings, if they do, <laughs> <laughs> if they do are, come are, are, are kind of controlled. So okay. we do do siblings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sadly, we are time barred. I'm sure we've not even finished everything. But yes, Dr. Harry, we are talking to Dr. Susan, who's a developmental who's a development pediatrician. That's a developmental pediatrician. Developmental. Yes, I was right. <laughs> okay, so we are we are learning. I've never heard of a developmental pediatrician before. Okay. I only know of a pediatric neurologist. Yes. Hey, geez. Okay. By the time we're done, I think I'll have a PhD in all of this. But it was lovely having you. Thank you for answering the questions of our viewers. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure by demand, if we have the uh, questions, we shall reach out to you. Yes, uh, all the questions you can talk to, to us on our social media pages, and we shall pass them on to the doctor and keep your watch on Andy Speaks for Special Needs page because that's where we have continuous discussions as we discuss what we'll discuss today, what do you feel we left out, that we can talk to her. We shall have her contact and I have tagged her on our live Facebook feed. So for any questions and all those who are asking about appointments, yes, we have tagged her on our Facebook post on this show. So you can uh, directly message Dr. Tari. She's just gotten back from Toronto with a new whole set of experience. Uh, she went to specialize. She's been here to the US and the UK yeah. and Toronto. And she's now back home so that we can be able to at least work on our children and help them develop better and help parents also be and be understanding. Like she said, the support system really matters when it comes to raising up, uh, raising a special needs child. It's not the job of the mother only. Yes. It is the job of the entire medical team plus the parents. <coughs> plus the siblings and plus even that that nanny who takes care of your child also needs to be involved because time is what counts you need to pay attention to every little thing mm -hmm. every small milestone if anything changes in your child there are the questions that Dr. Terry has advised that we should actually ask ourselves and make sure that we bring it up to the doctors so next time we shall be having or oh, today we were supposed to be having an occupational therapist but we couldn't pass this chance no way <laughs> So we shall be having our, our occupational therapist next week. So stay tuned and uh, be sure to join us next week on our ninth episode as we continue with our season on autism. And happy birthday once again, Maureen. Yes, yes it, is Maureen's, <laughs> it is Maureen's birthday. And we're sorry we're keeping you this late, but yes, we all give sacrifices to make sure that you are informed. Mm -hmm. Have a good night and see you next week. Bye. Thank you, Susan. Thank you.